When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and back again for a second guest appearance is our pal, Professor Alan Middleton. Professor, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here, Rob. Thanks for again for the invitation. Yes, I'm very excited about this. We are going to be talking about uh, the first time Alan was on, we talked about a song from Slow Train Coming, and this time we're talking about a song from Slow Train Coming. The uh, response was so overwhelming. <laughs> Yeah, we no, could no, no. not we, move on just yet. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that we wanted to get to this one back when we recorded episode five, I think it was. So uh, in, the song in question is When He Returns, which is the final song. I keep doing final songs lately. The final song from Slow Train Coming uh, never has something so scary sounded so enticing. Uh, because uh, this is, this is uh, a solo – well, not a solo. This is uh, Bob and uh, keyboardist Barry Beckett. Uh, just it, well, it's just the two of them, and it's Bob singing over uh, Beckett's piano track, singing a song of uh, utter devotion to uh, Jesus Christ, and it's a song of of sort of um, you know a person at a personal crossroads, combined with you know someone uh, approaching, someone um, anticipating the return of the Lord to the earth, basically. Uh, I, I right, you would take that. That's how it's, well, that's it's meant exactly to be. Exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is one of Dylan's great vocals. I'd say it's one that of the absolutely greatest true. vocal performances uh, that the man has ever done. And, and you know, I know a lot of people are like, "Well, that ain't too many." But for someone like me, I think there's a lot of them. But this one is so impassioned. Um, he mix wise, I mean, it's again, it's just him and Barry Beckett as opposed to the rest of the album, which has the backing singers and horns and all this other stuff. This song is is startling in that it is so different sounding than the other songs to this point. Uh, Alan, why? Things he has to say. One of the things we talked about with "When You're Gonna Wake Up" was just how smooth yes. that that song was. He said with the horns, with again lush. You know, would would be another way to Get describe that, that, that song. Dun, 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 you know. But this one is 180 degrees. It's it's raw. It's intense. And let let me run this concept by you. I've <laughs> I've I've run this by other people. It's not gained the traction that I think it should. Okay. But you know, Dylan's singing ability is often criticized. Sure. And I think there's a difference between having a good, strong voice and being able to sing. The one sort of natural talent in this context, we'd say God-given talent, right? the gift. You know, someone who just has a pure, great voice. And that's not Dylan. Okay. But, I think, but I think he can sing. I mean, I think sort of technical aspects. I am not a musician. I know nothing of, of, of what I'm hypothesizing here. But I think sort of technical aspects of singing, of tune and key and some of those things he can actually do reasonably well. He has kind of a voice that isn't world class. But I think in a technical sense, and certainly on this song, he sings it beautifully. Well, yeah. I mean, if if, if you consider good singing to be singing that makes the listener feel something, uh, and to me that's the ultimate 
you know, why else are you listening? Uh, then Dylan is a, is a great singer because he makes me feel quite a bit. I mean, like I said, this song mixes the two ideas of, of someone at a, at a deep personal crossroads. I mean, it talks about uh, – it opens with, uh, for all those who have eyes and all those who have ears, it is only he, capital he, who can reduce me to tears. Uh, truth is narrow and the gate is narrow that it passes through. And then it gets to, and even one of the lines which just jumps out at me is, how long can I stay drunk on fear out in the wilderness? Which, you know, we talked about this for the other song, is, you know, that that line has uh, meaning to anyone, whether they're religious or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, in terms of, you know, Bob is mixed, you know, right up, he's right in your ear. The song feels like it was recorded late at night, and from what I read of it is that he originally intended one of the backup singers to sing it for him instead. Yeah, Carolyn Dennis or Helena Springs, and then he apparently sang a guide vocal for them, and I guess the producer heard it and said, Bob, I think you should just do this yourself, and he eventually did it. It took him eight takes uh, over Barry Beckett's piano track, but it is so impassioned. It is so – you really feel like it's – again, it's late at night. Hardly anybody's around, and this is a man singing a song of utter devotion that, yeah, to me it is It is immensely powerful uh, however you choose to take it. And, yeah, in terms of his singing, I think it is it's, – it's warm. It's lived in, and it feels real. It doesn't feel – I mean th- th- this album of, of religious songs would have been absolutely deadly if you had gotten the sense that he was – BSing that this was some sort of you know move to you know appeal to a certain audience or something this it would have been unlistenable but you don't buy that for one moment he seems utterly convinced and to me of of all the songs on this album this one is I don't know if it's quote unquote my favorite or the best but it is to me the most impassioned and um, live wise he did it uh, only forty seven times between nineteen seventy nine and nineteen eighty one and then it was put away forever. I've never heard a live version of this. I can only imagine what it sounded like. It must have been uh, pretty amazing because it is just, uh, again, and the lyrically, it is very powerful. Like I said, you know, last time uh, I was on, I probably hadn't heard any of these songs with, you know, the exception of got to serve somebody in probably 25 plus years. Right. And when I was going over these, you know, the song lists on these three albums, uh, you know, after you contacted me before we did, when are you going to wake up? You know, there were some that I remembered better than others. Some, you know, I liked more than others, just had that memory. But when I saw this one, when I saw When He Returns on the song list, my initial reaction was, ooh, that one. Mm-hmm. That was one of the best. No real specific memory of it beyond that until I heard that piano open. And then, oh, it's this one. And I probably, you know, sang you know, two-thirds of the words with it, you know, not having heard it in a couple, <laughs> a couple of decades. I think it's just an excellent song. And it's just because it's so stripped down. Again, the, the rawness of the, the delivery, the passion of, that, of, of the delivery is matched by the piano. And I think because it's just piano and vocal, it has a timeless sort of feel to it. It's, it's not a song that you can say, oh, well, okay, that's, that's the 80s period. Mm-hmm. Or that's the '90s period, or even that's the '70s. You know, that's the folk period. It's it's a song that has some level of transcendence. I think beyond the beyond the era. Yeah, I mean, if, you know, all of his albums, some a lot of his albums have that particular sound that you can sort mm-hmm. of point to and say, "Well, that sounds like a '60s thing or a '70s thing." Yeah, this this really could have been recorded 
a couple of years ago or in the 60s or something like that. It really it, it has that feel to it. And, and like I said, the, the lyrics are am- amazing in that they, are, they, said they, they go back and forth between this idea of preparing for the return of Jesus Christ versus a someone who is really withering with his own self-reproach. Right. Uh, I mean, at the end, he talks about um, how long can you falsify and deny what is real? How long can you hate yourself for the weakness you conceal? I mean, I don't, I not to get too into it, but how many people can't relate to that? Oh, you yeah. know, that idea that yeah. you're, 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 you know, you're, you're skating by uh, life, uh, you know, hiding the weaknesses you think you have, and you hate yourself for for being that way. Good lord, who I mean, can't? That you know? that, <laughs> that concept has developed a you know a psychological name, imposter syndrome. Wow, right? that that crippling fear that we all have that at some point we're going to be found out that we're phonies. That's going to say that's a thing. And and that's exactly what he's expressing there. Yeah, there's a great moment. Just as a, a side thing, a little bit. There's a great moment in a, there's a documentary about Stanley Kubrick called Stanley Kubrick: A Life in Pictures, which is you know pretty much just a biography of the man and his work. And at the, the last line of the movie is his wife, and she talked about one of the last conversations she had with him, and it was after he had gone to a meeting with some studio heads, and she said, "How did it go?" And he goes, "Well, I'm still fooling him." And I thought, my good, even Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick is going through life thinking, ah, they're going to find me out one of these days. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, and so here's Bob Dylan talking about that. And that's, it's pretty, pretty startling. And, uh, you know, and again, it, it ends with him saying of every earthly plan that be known to man, he is unconcerned. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when he returns. And again, you know, on some level, he's talking about the the end of everything, the end of days, uh, and that's that's pretty terrifying, uh, you know, to someone who is is not from that particular religious bent. That's a pretty scary idea, and yet again, the the performance here is so enticing that yeah. you you're like, I'll have what he's having, you know. I mean, he sounds you know utterly convinced, and uh, despite all of his insecurities, he he continually at the end of every verse finds peace. In the idea that the Lord is coming back, which is again extraordinarily powerful. I mean, there's a I think this in in within the church. This concept is called the blessed hope. I mean, there's this the idea that this is a this is a hope filled time, right? For uh, 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 for believers, and and I think he he's he he gets at that a little bit in the in the uh, I guess it's the second verse where he talks about. Uh, Will, will I ever learn that there'll be no peace, that the war won't cease yeah. until he returns? And we talked again a little bit about this in uh, When Are You Going to Wake Up, that Dylan has the same concerns and thoughts and priorities dur- during this era. He's talking about prejudice. He's talking about issues of war and peace. It's just that he's shooting them through a different prism. Yes. You know, during this couple year period. But it's not like he's changed 180 degrees. You know, he still has these same concerns and he's working it out in this different context. And that's really interesting to sort of look back on and consider that that process. Yeah, he's gotten some criticism over the decades from some of his diehard fans, or well, I guess you could depends on your what your view of diehard is. But <laughs> some of his fans that he doesn't do the sort of political material that he did when he was younger, and 
to me, there's there's politics all over this album. I mean, although you could argue the mixing of politics and religion is maybe not the best idea, it's on his mind. And, you know, I mean, just even a couple of years ago on, on Modern Times, there's a song called Working Man's Blues Number 2, which is exactly about what's going on in the world at the moment. So he's never given that up. It's just, as you say, filtered through a different lens. And, you know, he's not singing... The times they are changing. It's not that obvious. He's he's going through a different perspective, which makes sense. I mean, at this point, he was thirty five, thirty uh, no, thirty eight years old. He was getting to. I don't want to say an older man because I'm older than Bob was at that time, but you know, because I refuse to say that. But I mean, it's you know, he's not the young firebrand anymore. He's got some other concerns uh, in his life. So yeah, it's a and it's, it's an amazing way to end the album. He's un, he's ended a couple albums like this. Uh, with you know albums that had a lot of noise and a lot of sound, and then the last track is is very stripped down, Empire Burlesque. For as much as I make fun of that album, has a s- similar uh, ending, and some other albums do. So I mean, he's you know he's done that before, and it, uh, we, it seems to work a lot. And this is one of the better examples of that. Like I said, it's a extraordinary song, and I would love to find a bootleg version or as I mentioned in a previous episode, he did an entire album of this religious right. material live submitted to, to Columbia records and they rejected it. So it's, it's, it's in some vault collecting dust somewhere. Put it out guys. Come on. What are you waiting for? I mean, we want to hear it. I mean, it, you know, I think anybody who's buying bootleg series at this point is a diehard fan. So I don't think what, you know, what are you worried about? Just put this stuff out. So as, as we say in business, it's already a sunk cost. Yeah, yeah, right. Already paid for this material. It's all done. It's just great. If you're you're worried about uh, hindering, you know, Dylan's uh, commercial aspects from here on, which may have been a concern in '82 or '83, it's not an issue here in 2016. He's got his fan base, and you don't have to worry about. Issues like that. Yeah, maybe instead of digging up the 19th version of, uh, you know, Subterranean Homesick Blues, pull out something (laughs) that we haven't heard before, just saying Columbia Records. So uh, I think that's going to do it for when he returns. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for doing the show again. I really appreciate it. You bet. Uh, Where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, Most of my podcasting efforts are at the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Relatively Geeky Podcast dot blogspot.com that has a range of comic book shows on it including the quarter bin podcast and my show with my daughter emily the short box showcase very cool so uh and if you want to follow the show on twitter it's pod underscore dylan or you can leave a comment over on the network site which is firewaterpodcast.com again alan thank you so much for doing it i always always enjoy having you on you're welcome thanks for the invite thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next week bye Surrender your crown on this bloodstained ground. Take a off you man. He sees your deeds, he knows your needs, even before you end. you falsify and deny what is real how long can you hate yourself for the weakness you can see of every earthly plan that be known to man he is un. 
Kanzeln. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne when I hear. 